0: Let's hack the process together. In an industry like online commerce that's so dominated by big players like Amazon, a cooperative may be the answer to giving the small business owner a voice. That's what Barth Jetto is trying to make happen with Empowery, a member-owned nonprofit designed to support e-commerce sellers in running their own companies, promoting their interests, and getting the best rates on the services they need to be successful. In this episode of Hack the Process... Barth will tell us what makes online selling such a good match for the cooperative business model, why his years working in more traditional industries prepared him for this opportunity, and how Empowery leverages online services to support employees all across the United States and members around the world. So today I'm speaking with Barth Jetto, and he is the president of Empowery, which is an e-commerce cooperative. Barth, how are you doing today? I am well. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. I'm glad you're here, too, because when I read that you were leading an e-commerce collective, I was trying to picture what that meant. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means?
1: Yeah, sure. It's a very common question. I think we'll dial it back first, though, to the structure of the company, and that that kind of explains the rest. But we're a cooperative, and cooperatives were formed in 1752 in the United States. They were in Europe, I believe, already. But Ben Franklin actually started the first one in Philadelphia as an insurance company for fire loss on homes. And now there are 40,000 of them in the United States. Ones that you may have bought from or heard of are REI. That's very similar to us. It's a, the way we pay cash back and everything is it's a catalog for sporting outdoor gear. And the, they, the members, the customers are actually become members of the co-op. But the other co-ops you probably don't know about are Ace, Va- Ace Hardware and Napa Auto Parts. There's a lot of ag co-ops like Welch's Grape Juice and Blue Diamond Almonds and, and Sun Kissed Naval Oranges. All those are cooperatives. Cooperatives really work in any business that's fragmented. There's an imbalance of power. And that's why it's, you know, our company's an e-commerce cooperative because we started it in an e- the e-commerce business. And that is very fragmented. And it's very entrepreneurial. And it is, it's dominated by Amazon right now, too.
0: So when I think about the concepts that you just mentioned, my mind goes in a couple of different directions. First of all, those companies that you mentioned, they strike me as big commercial companies and maybe even publicly traded companies. Does that have some association with this?
1: They are big, but they would not be publicly traded because a co-op, in its essence, there's a trade association of cooperatives called the National Cooperative Business Association, out of Washington D.C., and they are very structured, and our agreement's very structured, and it's similar to all other co-ops. Every co-op, you own a share of the stock, and in, in a, you know retail co-op like we are, and in our case, it's a thousand dollar share of stock. You buy it up front you keep it. If you ever leave, you get the money back, but it's non appreciating. So the first person that comes in and the last person that comes in, you know, the two thousandth member versus the first member, they're treated exactly the same. So it's completely egalitarian and democratic, but they can't sell that share of stock to anyone. That is members own the actual company. So it's kind of like a franchise, but owned by the members. In the case of Ace Hardware, you Value, all those NAP Auto Parts, they're individually owned locations, But they go under the same banner to make themselves look bigger, stronger, buy better, train more, merchandise market, all those things. And that's what Empowery is for e-commerce sellers.
0: What exactly do the members own?
1: Well, they they own the one share of non-appreciating stock actually allows them to have a vote when any big issues come up. And they also get cash back on all the purchases that they purchase through the group. So for instance, we have a 3PL, a third-party logistics company. If they use that third-party logistics company, whatever they use during the month they will accrue a cash back on, and then they will be paid that. We have one convention a year. That's going to be in April in Seattle. In the bylaws, it actually says that you have to have a convention annually. They will receive the check then for the monies they've accrued, less it's a nominal fee to belong, less the nominal fee will be deducted from that. So the sheriff's stock gets you voting right and cash back. The co opy term for the cash back is rebates and patronage dividends. But nobody understands, you know, people's eyes glaze over when you say that. Everybody watches the Jennifer Gardner commercials on Capital One when it talks about, she talks about cash back, cash back. So we've kind of changed our vernacular to, the, to a more common term, that being cash back.
0: It is hard to get these concepts across in a way that people can really understand. It's a new idea, I think, especially in the e-commerce area for people to be thinking about working this way.
1: We're the only one. We're the only one that that I've ever heard of in this business. But if you think about it, the the reason it needs to be is two things. I talked about the balance of power earlier. You know, Amazon is just so big and they rule the roost and you really want an entrepreneur, an independent business person to have some say so. It allows this, this group to come together and buy together we have training modules that we can that we all share we have a buyer on staff that you know if they need anything if they need resources in china we have a team in china and that's where a lot of products are made these days right or wrong that's you know a lot of the stuff that's sold on amazon's you know origin is in in china We have resources all over the world helping these independent entrepreneurs glide through the business day and not feel alone. When you're an entrepreneur working out of your home, like most e-commerce sellers are, it's lonely. (laughs) It really is. If you came from corporate America like I did, you know, I had an office, I had staff all around me, anything I needed, I asked. Different when you're working, you know, remotely or having your own business.
0: I agree. Absolutely. And I think it's a very challenging transition for a lot of people who are used to the more traditional business setup to be trying to do everything by themselves.
1: You're right. And, And I'm new to this. I came from a floor covering cooperative and uh, they do, I don't know, 10, 11 billion dollars a year. So they're they are big and I, I helped it grow. I, I was in new membership, so I was instrumental in making a lot of that growth happen. We started this one thinking that we can do it better. We can help people do things more. I was shocked to see how much, there's 2000 new Amazon sellers a day. So any of your listening audience, if they're looking to do something different, selling through e-commerce is an unbelievable opportunity and it's expanding rapidly. But with that fast expansion, you need a structure, you know, you need an umbrella over you and a safety net under you, and that's what a cooperative actually does. It's independents joining together to make things better and to buy better and have, feel more secure and to not step on the potential minds that may be litter, littering the field, you know, by you having subject matter experts and knowledge about what not to do, and it's not what you do right all the time, it's what you don't do wrong. <laughs> and um. We've got some of the best and the brightest, I've made up a word, in our group to help. You know, anytime a, a newer person needs something, we've got, we've got a
0: resource. Well, I know that there are people out there who are spending 2000 3000 $5,000 on courses in order to learn how to sell properly on Amazon. Do you provide training and that kind of support? We do.
1: You know, we're early on. We just started in February and I came on in May. So we're we're new into that. We, pro- we have modules on using bot and, you know, an HR module. And, you know, we just keep adding to it every month. When you get the collective knowledge of all these people, you need a repository for it, obviously. You need a, a place to put it. So that is what our training portal will be. And one of our founders, Evan Hackle, actually has his own training company. So we're pretty versed in how to do this. But, you know, the the masterminds, the the all the other courses you can take a lot of people are you know a member of a mastermind this is a mastermind on steroids masterminds are awesome our, our other founder steve simonson has one called catalyst 88 and it's a very popular one a mastermind but you know that's for 30 people we hope to have two thousand members and by the end of of 2019 so this is for everybody while masterminds tend to be exclusive because you know you you can't have more than a certain number of people or you lose their effectiveness in the case of a co-op we we want anybody that qualifies and that's somebody that's you know selling full-time has good credit meets the culture i do every single solitary new member presentation myself because especially in the early going i want to make sure everybody's of the utmost pedigree because we're the sailors they're the captain of the ship and we need good people in the beginning to tell us which direction to head.
0: Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I've heard people talk about how you may be wanting to scale this thing to 2,000 members eventually, but you have to do things that aren't scalable to start with in order to build things on the right foundation.
1: You're so right. I mean, it's the blocking and tackling. You know, we're we're doing all of that now. We, we just changed the logo last week. <laughs> um, you know, we, we started out kind of with a placeholder logo and it wasn't bad, but it doesn't wasn't really indicative of what we did. So, you know, I led that charge and got it, you know, just little things like that. And we're doing obviously a lot of podcasts to get our name out there. We're building the infrastructure that the membership will be proud of once they join us.
0: And it sounds like one of the goals, the idea of building up to that 2000 number, does that feel like that's a particular pivot point for you where you'll have the kind of market strength that you feel the the cooperative really needs? Well, I think when we get to probably 500, that between 250 and 500 will
1: give us a lot of clout. 2,000, you're probably up around 10, 15 billion dollars in collective purchases. And you know, I, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but completely seriously. On another hand, I really would love in two years that the management team of Empowery would get personalized holiday cards from Jeff Bezos at Amazon. <laughs> that that to me would mean we made it we have a victory that they know who we are we have a great partnership with them my vision of this is we get enough buying power clout membership that we can go to the big marketplaces with whom we're discussing right now we have we have contacted every single solitary marketplace we know of from rakuten the japanese one to overstock to sears and jet and walmart all of them ebay but i could see a day when we could sit down with them and the and amazon too and just say look, our members are special. They are trained better. They have great credit. They are of the highest pedigree. And, you know, we we want perk packs for them that are a little bit different. We want cash back on the back end, you know, for some, so we can do more marketing and some training courses. So there'll be a better, you know, a better seller on your marketplace. That's the end game.
0: I'm wondering what the response has been from these companies and how you reached out to them in the first place. It's very hard to even find a person to contact in some of these companies.
1: We, we we went, the Jet Walmart guy left. And, and so we I was just talking to one of the guys that works for me moments ago about that, right before the call. And we have to try to track down the new person. But, you know, it just, it all depends. The, the Bonanza is a, a, a lesser known marketplace. But one of the founders, called, you know, we, we emailed him, found him, and he gave us, I don't know, a half an hour on the phone the other day. So some of them are very, and we've, we've had discussions with eBay one-on-one too, but some of them are unbelievably kind with their time because I think they, like you said, hey, I don't think there's anything else like this out there. Could this be good for us? And I, you know, I hope they all have that attitude because we're not trying to you know, compete with them or anything else. We're trying to make our members better so they sell more and more profitably on their, on their marketplace. That's a win-win for everyone.
0: That makes perfect sense. And of course, you're trying to get the same people that they're trying to get.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, we are on concurrent paths, 100%. I I really am serious. I I hope that we are known by the big marketplaces when we get this thing big enough. That that will mean success to me.
0: I, I can see that. And it sounds like you come from a background of having done a lot of work with cooperatives in the past.
1: Yeah, I spent probably 20, 25 years. There's one in the flooring business that has, I don't know what they're up to now, is like over 2,000 locations. You know, we I started in 94 with them and they were about, I don't know, 10 years old, 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I helped grow it. it was, it's unbelievable. I mean, it you become friends with these people. It becomes a family. And I mean, these are lifelong compatriots. They are people that you, you know, you, you go to beyond business. You know, a lot of my friends that, that I met through these co-op groups that I've run, they're lifelong friends. And it, we go to each other's kids' weddings, the whole thing. So it, it's an egalitarian business structure, foundation, but it is really family at the end of the day.
0: I would hope so especially since you, you the notion is that there people are supposed to be working in a cooperative way.
1: I guess the the moniker that describes it is it's almost like an onomatopoeia, where it buzzes the sound and buzzes the way the word spelled. I guess cooperative's pretty close to that. <laughs>
0: It's funny because when I think about Amazon sellers in particular, and just use Amazon as an example, you hear them talking and it feels very competitive where they're trying to undercut each other and optimize those the search engines so that they show up above their competitors and you don't think cooperative right away.
1: It's funny. Even the new members to whom I speak about empowering. I typically just ask them what their category is. I never ask them. If they want to volunteer, I'm not going to tell anybody. But if they want to volunteer what product specifically they sell on, on, on these marketplaces, they'll, I'll let them volunteer it. But, you know, a lot of people are very protective, and rightfully so. You know, like you said, it's, it's competition. One prospective member I was talking to early on when I first started, and it was funny, he said he was complaining kind of about how busy he was. He said, yeah, I was doing $50,000 a month on Amazon, and my biggest competitor got kicked off. They did, you know, you can get kicked off of Amazon for doing something wrong. I don't know what he did, but he goes, yeah, and my business quadrupled, so now I'm doing $200,000 a month. And I said, look, there's a lot of people in the world that I feel sorry for. You're not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm really, you know, I I just can't really feel that bad for you. And he just laughed.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. But do people get concerned about that when they think about joining a cooperative? Do they feel like they might be giving up some competitive advantage?
1: In Sometimes in other cooperatives I worked with, yes. But you're gaining competitive advantage by being in a cooperative because you still don't have to share what your product category is when you come in. I mean, that's still your personal business. Everything that you buy is going to be bought at a cheaper price. You know, all the software, all the training modules, anything that you need, any program. We have a program with Allusion Capital. If you sell your business and you get a better price up front, and then you get you get cash back on the back end if you ever if it ever comes time to sell your business. And and I'll tell you, businesses that are in cooperatives, franchises, buying groups always sell for more. Always. And I think about it, a McDonald's franchise hamburger location is going to sell way more than a Joe's hamburger, you know, independent hamburger flipper. It's always going to sell for more because people know the structure is there. The same thing happened in the flooring business where where I was, uh, you know, executive there. When the banks would look at it, it made the bank feel comfortable that there was a, a structure in place. And when the buyer went to borrow money from the bank, they could get more money. So they were in order. They could pay more for the business. And they w- they knew that the success was much, much higher because there was this, you know, an ace hardware, or true value hardware is going to have a higher success rate than independent hardware out there on their own trying to fight the battles, you know, on a daily basis. Our group makes the business worth more money when someone's a member.
0: I like that you're focusing people right from the start on what the value of the business is going to be when they need to turn it over or if they decide to turn it over. I think a lot of people jump into entrepreneurship thinking only about keeping it going and keeping it going. But ultimately, you're building, a, you're building an asset that you can potentially sell.
1: There are very few e-commerce sellers that I've met that don't have a plan to sell the business, and they're very saleable. And the other thing we're doing for the members by looking at all these other marketplaces, financiers, lenders, and buyers are going to look at it like, hey, you're diversified. If something happens on one of those marketplaces, God forbid, you're not going to get shut out of business completely.
0: And I, I can understand that Amazon sellers might be more likely to be thinking about that than other entrepreneurs going in.
1: Yes, yes. I, I, you know, it's, it's because, you know, in a lot of cases on the Amazon side, people are a little more product agnostic than in other businesses that i've been in like in, in flooring you know you have to have a brick and mortar location uh, you have to have installation crews a lot of times your family comes into the business when you're selling on amazon you can go out of one product category and completely switch to another you know a lot of people do supplements health and beauty sporting equipment outdoor equipment those kinds of bike equipment those kinds of things but if you, got, if you sold your business and got tired of that category, you already know the, like the algorithm how to sell on Amazon and, and the keywords to use and all the little nuances and tricks. And that's what we help you with. So you can really go into another product category much more readily than in any business I've ever seen prior to this.
0: And that makes sense. And the target audience that you're looking for to join your cooperative, these are not necessarily people who are just starting out with a brand new idea for selling on Amazon. These are maybe people who have had a little bit of experience with this, right?
1: Yeah, we, we want to help those new people. And so we're, you know, me and the other management folks, we've been talking about how do we do something just for the startup that's a little bit, we call the person who buys the share of stock an equity member. We're trying to figure out a way to do it for the startup too. But again, typically the equity member that joins gets the share stock, gets the the cash back, and all that. They need to be doing you know upwards of three five hundred thousand dollars a year on Amazon, with potential to grow. We'd like everybody to be around a million, but would take people smaller if they have they've quit their job, they're all in, they're going to make this thing successful. We want those kind of, you know, we want that kind of blood in our group. But, you know, you're right. Typically, we would like someone who's had their feet wet, but we want to help everybody. So I have a feeling we're going to have something for startups, too.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that might be a separate product offering, or would that be a category of training that you would provide to people who are equity members?
1: I think the startup member would just have less access. They would have access to different things, but not access to everything. The equity member would have access to everything we offer. And I could see the startup being a, a small portion of it. And you're right, there'd be different modules that were would seem passe to an experienced e-commerce seller that would be very poignant for
0: someone who's just starting up. On the other hand, I think that those startups might benefit a lot from being in a place where they could ask questions of those people who've had a little bit more experience. That would definitely be
1: part of the startup menu, I believe, just you know, access to the learning modules because that's what they need. I, I was surprised when I came here and I met I went to a, a conference in Orlando when I first met Steve Simonson, the CEO and founder. And I was shocked at what people would pay and how serious and, and the lengths that they'd go to and the places they'd travel to to get knowledge about e-commerce selling. It, it shocked me. That's all I can say is, is the amount of money they would pay because one little thing you can do better can make you hundreds of thousands of dollars on the other side. So they're willing to pay. You know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, twenty-five thousand dollars in some cases to attend some of this stuff. But it it has an ROI. So God bless them for doing it.
0: No, oh, absolutely no. Even to the small startups, a one thousand dollar initial investment doesn't sound like a lot to get to get going in a business like this, especially if it has a lot of support on the other side.
1: Yep. No, I agree. In the midst of trying to figure out how to do something special for the first 50 members, we have 20 members now. We're looking to do something special for the first 50. So I'm, uh, we're working on that. I have a call tomorrow night with the rest of the exec team to kind of figure out what we're going to do. But it's under $250 a month to belong to this. That is very reasonable for the amount of support and expertise you get. And, and remember, there's cash back coming back to self-liquidate that. So you're really not paying them. If you are an active member and you're participating and patronizing the programs, you should, for all intents and purposes, receive a check. Instead of having to owe money, at the end of the year at our convention, you should receive a check in your hand. And I'll tell you, nobody else is going to do that for you.
0: I'm trying to picture how that works. How do you get a check back if you're paying $250 a month other than just the benefit that you get from the discounts from the collective bargaining that you get from being part of a cooperative?
1: Well, because the discounts on the front end of the service you use, and then there's cash back on the back end. So everything you use, and we have probably 30 programs in our system now. I'll give you an example. We have FreeUp that is a freelancer platform and it's awesome. I use it for our, I found our marketing person there because I, you know, we just didn't need a full-time marketing person. So we have, you know, we use 10 to 15 hours a week. Well, we got a better price up front and then we get cash back on every hour build. It goes to the member. This, this money accrues in a fund. If any of the um, entrepreneurs on the call ever bought from REI, you buy clothes and let's say it's Five percent. I don't know what it is. I haven't bought anything off them for a while. But let's say it's five percent. You buy a hundred dollar item. Five dollars goes into your credit account, to your cash back account. Same thing applies with us. So all that you have to do is use enough programs to eclipse the two hundred and fifty dollars a month, which isn't that hard to do if you're using the programs, because it all adds up. And you know, if you make thirty, fifty, seventy dollars a program, you only need to be using five or six programs. You're on the positive cash flow side. That's the way it is with all co-ops, by the way, too. Co-ops have cash back, and the goal is to have every member receiving a check at the end of the year. And so they're really happy. They've got great services. You know. They've gotten you know, great customer service. They've gotten great use of the services that, that we provide. And they're making money at the end of the year. That is just can't get any better than that.
0: If you're getting good prices on services you're going to be using anyway, a small business could certainly spend more than $250 a month on these services.
1: Oh, yeah, and it's supporting the programs. If you need tax accounting software, we have it. If you need, you know, and again, we've negotiated a better price, and we have the cash back coming back. We have foreign exchange services for the monetary side if you're taking, you know, foreign funds. We have e-package delivery and inspections, 3PL sourcing. We have photography in China, so you don't have to ship the product over here. You, You can get it done there. We have an enterprise resource planner being developed, an ERP that will allow an e-commerce seller to run their business stem to stern and not have to bolt a whole, you know, QuickBooks or, you know, all this stuff bolted all together. They can do it. We have credit card processing. We have inventory financing. So those are just a few. There's 30 programs like that. But every time you use one of those programs, a little bit, my, one of our founders uses a Scooby snack. And, you know, for the older folks, we know Scooby-Doo. I don't know if the younger folks would know that, but, you know, they would give Scooby a Scooby snack and that's what it is. It's a Scooby snack coming back, but those Scooby snacks all, they add up in a pile and then they become real money at the end of the year.
0: And it's up to the member of the cooperative, just how much of which services they want to use. But it sounds to me like there could be an opportunity to create something turnkey as well.
1: Yeah, there is, but uh, you, you made me think of something. The great part about a cooperative, too, is we have this stable of services. Let's say you, you're you completely happy with your 3PL today. You know, you're a third-party logistics company. You don't want to. They're doing everything right. Stay with them. You do not have to use this program just because you're a member of Empowery. But if anything happens, there it is on the shelf, already in the box, ready to go. It's negotiated on the front end. The contract's in place. It's negotiated cash back on the back end. And one thing that is even better is if anything goes wrong with any of our vendors, I urge every member has my personal cell phone number, call me. I'll call them up and say, are you kidding me? And I, I've had to do this in my past lives and other cooperatives. But are you kidding me? You want to jeopardize your whole book of business with us over a stupid little issue like this. Just fix it and make it go away. I analogize us to, you know, the the boxer, the entrepreneurs out there in the boxing ring, you know, shucking and jiving, trying to not get hit. And we're in the corner helping. And that's exactly what we are. We're in the corner and we know what suggestions to make. We know when the person's getting hit too hard, they may need to slow it down, speed it up. We're doing the same thing. So we are there at every step of the way, again, to make sure they don't step on the landmines. And if one does occur in front of them, we bring out the minesweeper.
0: It's good to have something like that in your corner, basically, to help you with that, especially when you're negotiating with companies where you might not otherwise have that kind of leverage.
1: Yeah, well, you, you know, and especially think about, it, Dave, with the marketplaces, you can't go to a marketplace as an independent and, and get anything done there. As a group, as a collective buying group, you go and they have to listen. I mean, if we're doing tens of billions of dollars a year, they would be crazy not to sit down and have a discourse with us.
0: I can hear that. Have you thought about a sort of a turnkey operation for people?
1: Yes, we have. That's probably stage two. But, you know, we already have people in China. And obviously, as we grow, we'll have more. I do think there's room for us to negotiate the product, you know, like identify the product there negotiate it, and then go back to the membership and say, here are the things that you can sell. You know, here are the recommended items that just need some TLC. They need a brand made, you know, uh, because a lot of these folks, these entrepreneurs are really good at creating brands. They'll take a supplement and they'll bottle it. And, you know, it's the unboxing experience. It's the packaging. It's the, the name and the warranties and all the, you know, the things that can go on these products. I do see a future for that where we would go back to early on, you know, startup members and say, here's a a prescription for success. Let us help you. Let us walk you through it. But that's a little bit out there.
0: It could be a whole different business model, but it comes after building up that core of solid businesses, I think, that you're trying to start with. Absolutely. Your history has been with cooperatives for a long time. How did you get started in this particular area? What attracted you to it?
1: Well, the, the co-ops. I was actually selling carpet. I came out of Penn State and I went to Armstrong World Industries selling flooring. I was a carpet rep. I literally drove around with carpet samples in the back of my vehicle and visited retail carpet locations. And so, I don't know. It was about ten years into that. Maybe, maybe yeah, about ten years. The co-op started in St. Louis. The flooring co-op started, and the CEO, unbeknownst to me, liked me. And so, when it came time to to hire uh, someone to bring in the new, the new stores. to actually go out and find the independent flooring retailers that wanted to join the group. He brought me on to do that, and so I you know, went up through the ranks of that company, ended up becoming president of one of the divisions after I spent about 20 years there. So I got to see co-ops and how they really work and how they, they really help the independent retailer. And, and then I went to a, another stint with a company called Promobox, and that was in digital and social marketing. We focused on giving the brand a toll to make their communication between them and the independent retailer better, to make their social and digital message hum. And again, I was working with independents and entrepreneurs. And so it's my whole life really has been working for and with companies that they're independent individuals. I've, I've gotten to see, I've been blessed to see flooring locations specifically, because I was there so long, two or three generations inherit it. And I feel like because of my tenacity to get them to join the group, that the grandchildren had a viable, thriving business to go to. You know, and I I literally watched the father, you know, I deal with the the grandfather now, but he was the principal at the time, then had a son and then the grandchildren. And I got to see them all go through. And it is a, I don't know, it's an extreme high when you can see a legal one in every state, it's a, a pretty good high when you can see this business. You go back to visit them and they're like, hey, thank you for being such a pain in the behind and getting me in. Because not everybody says yes right away. So that, that's really what keeps me, keeps me going. That's why I love this because it's, it's helping people you know, get better at what they do.
0: I can see where that would keep you motivated. It's just such a gratifying thing to be able to keep on doing that for folks and to see the positive effect that it's having. How did you learn the process in the first place? It's not the first business model that people think of.
1: You know, these guys, when they started this flooring cooperative, flooring retailers tend to be very um, entrepreneurial and independent, ruggedly independent. And they looked at the different forms. They could afford a franchise and and somehow they found the National Cooperative Business Association, National Co-op Bank. There's a bank that actually mo- lends money only to cooperatives in Washington, D.C. And I think they looked at it at, at its egalitarian nature because, you know, every, these guys they were getting in were all big and powerful. They didn't want a or telling them what to do. So I think they looked at it and they said, hey, there's a great way to allow people to still have their independence and their individuality but to join together and make a big collective company. You know, I didn't know what one was either. When I first joined, I I was as clueless as anyone. And, you know, now, and it, it's funny, David, I've done some lobbying for, for co-ops and National Co-op Bank, they have meetings sometimes in DC. I've actually gone and lobbied at my senator's office from, I was living in New Hampshire at the time. And even her corporate counsel with whom we met didn't really understand cooperatives. I mean, here's a, guess she was Ivy League trained lawyer, brilliant lady, and uh, really didn't understand co-ops either. And she's in the, you know, she's inside the Beltway, and didn't get it. I mean, she, she knew a little bit, but when I, you could see her like by the questions she asked me, I knew that she um didn't
0: know all the all the details. So it's just it's just a great way to do business. As I said, it seems it seems obscure to to a lot of people who are just more familiar with the single ownership model of businesses. What do you go to lobby the government for specifically around cooperatives? I'm curious.
1: You know, we would go in and just make sure that they first of all they understood what a cooperative was. A hundred million people in the United States are in a cooperative in some way, shape, or form. Like Nationwide Insurance and policy owners own the cooperative. That's a cooperative too. So a hundred million people. So many of their constituency, their their constituencies are in, you know, a cooperative, their voters are in a cooperative in one way way or another. First of all, we, we made them aware of that. And then there's always, you know, there's always legislation that help independent businesses and cooperatives. And so I, I can't remember specifically what the issues were at the time, but. We had like, I don't know, two or three issues we wanted to discuss with them. And so everybody at that conference went to their particular senator and lobbied on, the behalf, on behalf of the NCBA and the cooperatives. Again, it, you know, Ben Franklin thought the first one up in the United States or brought it here. So it <laughs> can't be any more you know, from the beginning of our democracy than that. It was before the democracy, actually, because it was 1752.
0: One thing that I also noticed about your, your business, you've set this up as a nonprofit.
1: Yes. And mo- uh, most cooperatives are, again, because it. you want to make people feel like, in know, the, the one founder, Steve, you know, he has a lot of collective knowledge. He, he knows how to do a lot. And, and he when you're in meetings with him, he gets just barraged by people asking him questions. So, you know, we were looking for a way to being a nonprofit and being a cooperative. We're looking for a way for never, nobody to feel intimidated, everybody to feel equal and welcome and have access to the programs that, that we can do together. So like I said in the very beginning of the podcast, it really works in places in industries that are fragmented and have an imbalance. There's nothing more fragmented than e-commerce because it's, it's the Wild West. I, it's unbelievable. Things change so quickly now with the state sales tax thing where they're trying, you know, they're they're trying to get their piece of the of the sale. That could be very disruptive to a lot of people's business. And we're all over that. We're we're studying it. We're getting software. We we just signed up a couple of software companies that can help with it. You know, our, our CEO is trying to a grassroots effort in California to kind of fight some of the things that are happening there. You know, we're all over those type of issues you asked me about for that, you know, that you'd lobby for. That's the kind of stuff you'd lobby for. No sales tax is one Trying to track that for an independent entrepreneur in all the different states and localities, it's crazy. It's very, very difficult and onerous.
0: We could get into a situation like the uh, European situation where there are individual taxes based on the countries.
1: Oh, you know, there are individual taxes. When you start looking, somebody told me the other day, I think there's 70 different tax uh, venues in Louisiana alone. (laughs) And it's like, you know, because there's state, there's local, there's all kinds of problems that can occur from this. And we need to be there fighting on their behalf. There's another group we're probably going to partner with in some way, and that's called the Online Merchants Guild. And they're the same way. They're out there. They're even more political than we are. They're out fighting for the right to party, as the Beastie Boys once said. But um, in our case, we're cognizant of that stuff, but we're really trying to help them with the minutia, with the day-to-day stuff that happens in their business. That's what we're here to help with.
0: I think it's fascinating that such a profit-driven industry needs a nonprofit to fight for it.
1: Yeah, and it again, it it really comes down to unity and solidarity. You can just get so many more things done when you work together on the on the business side. Again, you know, you keep your you still own your business. There's we owe no share of the business whatsoever. It is that one vote, that one share of stock that gives you entree into our into our group. But that allows you to get access to all these services. And if you use the training or anything else, you don't have to pay extra for any of it. It, it is, you are a member. It's, I, I belong to a country club here. It's a beautiful place. And you, you get to golf for free. <laughs> you know, you pay your, uh, your monthly fee and you get to use the other services. Now, if you want to eat, obviously, it, it costs a little more. And that's the same thing for us. If you want to use one of the programs, you know, it's going to cost you, you're going to deal directly with that vendor but some more money is going to have to be spent. But the base services are all included.
0: That makes perfect sense because, after all, those are the variable costs and those need to be covered in some way. Right. And and look, here's the interesting foundation of a co-op. What we do,
1: all that we do in the morning is get up and say, how do the members feel today? If they're happy, that's good because they're our owners and they through their patronage dividends, we get paid. You know. And then the collective group, the bigger the group gets, the more services we have, the more employees we have, so when we help a member get bigger, we're helping the group get bigger, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The two things, a rising tide ri- raises all boats, and that's exactly what a, what a co-op is. As the tide rises, we're all going to get better together.
0: Are there any incentives to members to try to recruit additional members? Great question. I just
1: I worked on it today. We have a call about it tomorrow evening. We want to make it lucrative for two groups of people to refer to us. The members, we're going to, you know, have a lucrative program. I've got the document in place. I'm just going to just have to finalize some of the minutia. But the other people we want to reward are channel partners. So influencers, anybody that like, you know, people that run these masterminds or these big training venues. Again, there's no competition from us. We're there to help. We're just there to help these members get bigger and use more of their services, too. So I actually have that document in place. It's called the Channel Partnership Agreement. And it's highly lucrative for someone to help us go out and get members because we know if we get a slug of members at one time, it, the cost of sale goes down immensely. So we have a very, very lucrative program for that. If anybody's listening and they can be a vendor to us or an influencer in the uh, e-commerce world,
0: I'd love to talk. Well, I can see that that's what you're doing here on the podcast. That's what you're doing out there. I'm curious, what else are you doing in order to generate the interest in your company let people know about what you have?
1: A lot of emails, you know, we're using social media the best we can, upgrading the website, doing all the things that, you know, millennials do things differently. There, there are a lot of people that are selling e-commerce products and they don't have a home. They just, they travel around, they go to China, they go to where their sourcing is, they go to Vietnam, they It's amazing. I mean, I don't even know they may have a storage bin somewhere, but some of these people's lives I wish I would have found this when I was thirty something. But you know, we're really trying to go out and we have a Twitter account now, you know, which we didn't have before. You know, it's it's really trying to go out and find out wherever these e commerce sellers are, again, trying to get a hold of the marketplaces, influencers. I mean you name it. We we've got a lot of balls up in the air trying to find the, the few, the proud, the empowering member.
0: That makes sense. And it sounds to me like this is sort of a, a logical progression in your career to be in a place like this, servicing a new industry certainly, but doing something that you're familiar with in terms of building this cooperative.
1: Yeah, I'm very comfortable on the co-op side. I'm very in a learning curve extraordinaire when it comes to the the e-commerce side. But, you know, I I frankly want to sell some products myself online. My brother works for a Berkshire Hathaway company, CEO of a, a Berkshire company. You know, he has all kinds of connections in China now and we need to. You know, we need to source something and start selling it, just so I can learn myself. I'd love to learn it and, and be able to talk more specifically to the membership because I have my own product. So I'll do that at some point, but I, I really want to get the, the legs going on this first, and then I don't, you know, I don't want to take my time away from this until it's churning.
0: Yeah, I can definitely hear the advantage of being able to speak the language by being one of the people who does the same thing.
1: Right, and they're, these people are they're experts at it. I mean, I see every time I sit down at a dinner with any of them, I, I walk away, my head hurts. Because there's, there's so much information being shared and there's so many nuances. And that's, that's why we needed to capture all this. If that, That's all just floating around out there. Like Steve, you know, he goes to a conference and he can only meet with so many people. He, he may be able to meet with 30 people while he's there. Why not spread that knowledge that he has plus all the other members? Why not spread that out and make it useful to everybody that qualifies?
0: So you're the president of this company. I'm curious how things are structured. Is it does, is there a physical headquarters? Is it distributed? How how is the company organized?
1: Most of our employees in in or around Seattle. We have an employee in Idaho, a few in in Arizona. There's some in China. So we are remote and we use Zoom Info. <laughs> daily. That is our go-to software to communicate. You know, we get together at meetings and things like that, but we are all, we're a virtual office. And another thing you asked to to your podcastees, some of the things that help you know run the business zoom and and go to meetings and all that it's amazing how you can run businesses today with remote employees a virtual office it's amazing and then there's companies like FreeUp and fiverr and all these companies that you know you can get things done quickly cheaply by people that are good at i got my logo created for 67 <laughs> and it's a really nice logo I mean, typically, you have to pay an advertising firm, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to develop one of those. And it, you know, is a process of me going online and going back and forth to get it done. You can really run an effective business today as an entrepreneur right out of your house and, and have high quality employees and they don't all have to live in the same place. You, you save probably $15,000 an employee by not having an office. Just that, you know, that's, that was a number that I always had to deal with on my budgeting in my last company. And it was about 15 grand that, you know, that's a lot of money when you have 10, 15 employees.
0: It must feel very different to you now running a company where you don't have an office to go to and people to see every day.
1: Yeah, and I miss it a little bit, honestly. I, I do like the personal interaction, but you get so much more done when you are, you know, it's the casual conversations, the water cooler conversations. They take a lot of time. And, and I, I miss that. I love, you know, because I love people and I love to be around them. And, I, you know, a lot of the folks that I've worked with over the years are good friends and inspirational to me. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's no distraction unless you want there to be when you're working remotely.
0: It sounds like you're a convert.
1: I think I am. I think I am. But, you know, we may have an office here someday, too. So, I, you know, there's always, you know, in-betweens, too. You can work a few days in an office a few days out of your house. So millennials like the ability to adapt. You know, they like variability. And I think that's what employers are trying to do these days and give them a a place that's flexible.
0: That makes sense. So you mentioned that you were distributed across the United States. Is this also something that you're looking to do internationally?
1: We are. I mean, we do have some international members. I mean, e-commerce is global. Amazon has individual marketplaces in the countries, in different countries. They have Amazon, Italy, France, Pakistan, India, all that. But not everybody sells on those. So, you know, the mother ship is U.S. marketplace. So we have members selling in all kinds of different places, you know, besides our own e-commerce site. But we have members on every one of those marketplaces and more. So it's, it's our, we're already global no matter what. And we have a team in China, so this is a global economy now. I don't see how there could ever truly be a war anymore because we're all so intertwined. It would be counterproductive for anybody.
0: From your mouth, let's hope that that's, that, that, <laughs> that, that's the truth. Anyway, how can people who are interested in finding out more about Empowery find out about it and get in touch with you and follow up? Uh,
1: the best way is just to get to me personally, and it's Barth at com So it's B-A-R-T-H at E-M-P-O dot com And just send me, shoot me an email and say, you know, interested in learning more. Um, I have a new member presentation. That's, you know, kind of nuts and bolts of everything we do and all the programs kind of defined. I have some videos that I've done. So there's plenty of, and, and I, I really like to talk to everybody myself. That to me is irreplaceable. That personal connection is just irreplaceable.
0: Oh, that's the wonderful thing about being at this early stage. You really can give that concierge service to every individual who's interested.
1: Yes, we can. We, um, But it, but the funny thing about a co-op is you always kind of feel that way, too, because you grow your staff based on the number of members that come in, and you always make sure you have enough staff to make everybody always feel comfortable. If I sound like I, I really believe in the model, I really believe in the model.
0: It comes across. And, Barth, thank you so much for joining me on Pack the Process today. It's been a pleasure meeting you. No, and great questions and,
1: um, and a really good time, and I'm looking forward to speaking to anybody that wants to learn more.
0: Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.